Well, grab your Bible with me and uh, open to the first page. I'm serious. The contents, yes. The spot where you put your name, who gave you your Bible, not there. Genesis 1. Actually, let's, let's begin with a question this morning. If you inherited $10 million tomorrow, would you continue to work? Yeah, most of us have an answer for that, don't we? And most of us would say, no, because $10 million would take care of what we believe to be all of our needs. But what if there's more to work than simply providing our needs and our wants and our pleasures and our desires? What if work provides more? What if it provides purpose, value, direction, spiritual growth, reminds us of the importance of rest, gospel mission, identity, and maturity in Christ? What if work does all that, but we don't see it? We've been asking ourselves a very purposeful question this year. Do I trust God? And for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about trusting God in our work. And I'd like to launch today by asking a question or answering a question to begin our series. And this is the question I'd like to answer this morning. How should I think about work? How should I think about my work? What does God's word say about my work? Because the words that often come to mind when we think of work are what? Stressful, burden, overwhelming, necessary, means to an end. These are the things that we think of that we often attribute to our work. And I believe there's a reason for this. I think we process work in this way because we've begun to think in our culture that the purpose of life is to play. We've switched. Instead of the purpose of life being godly work, the purpose of life is to play. As a result, work is what we have to do, but play is what we want to do. It's what we deserve to do. It's what we should get to do. So we now think that we are designed to play and work is a burden that we have to endure until we can play again. As a result, we struggle with identity and purpose and value. In a 1991 movie called City Slickers, if you're that old, you're, you're like me, um, can I give you just a little bit of insight to how old that is? That's the year I graduated from high school, okay? Billy Crystal is the main character in this movie, and here's what's interesting. He's struggling with purpose in his life. He's having a midlife crisis. He doesn't know what to do, and it's because he doesn't have purpose at work. Watch this short clip about Billy and his wife trying to process what it means to have purpose at work. Danny was embarrassed to tell the class what my job is. They're nine. They get excited about the guy who gives them change at the arcade. 
You just happen to have one of those jobs. It's difficult to... Believe that a grown man does without losing his mind. I mean, what is my job? I mean, I sell advertising time on the radio. So basically, I sell air. At least my father was an upholsterer. He made a sofa, a couch you could sit on. It was something tangible. What can I point to? Where's my work? It's air. I sell air. Danny was embarrassed to tell the class what my job is. They're nine. Billy's they struggling because he feels like he sells air. And he does. Because he sells air time on the radio. And so he's struggling with this. And I, I think that that all comes into play when we think about work and the challenge that it is in our modern age. See, for thousands of years, the majority of work was tangible. It was tangible. You grew crops to take care of your family and others. You made clothes to sell them at the market. You made wood products as a carpenter. You, you fished and sold them at the market. But because of our modern day conveniences, we do work differently. For thousands of years, modern-day conveniences were not there, and so families worked together, neighborhoods worked together, cities worked together. The, the marketplace in your town was the way everyone was working together for the common good of everyone. Life was very symbiotic for thousands of years. Everyone was connected to each other for life. They were dependent upon one another and their work and the product of their work was helpful and fulfilling and useful for everyone in their city. And now what do we do? We sell air. <laughs> right? I write a program, whatever your work is. Sometimes in modern day world, it's, it's become challenging, right? Because of modern day conveniences, we can actually live alone. That's never been true in history, that you could actually live all by yourself, all alone. We can work alone. We can provide for ourselves from the convenience of home. That's one of the things COVID taught us, wasn't it? I can continue my job without ever having to actually deal with anybody. Now, for some of us, that sounds awesome, right? I'll admit it. Some of you in the room are like, that is the best job in the world for me. You are like Amanda. You're an introvert. And if I could work and make money and not talk to a soul all day long, that's ideal for me, right? Some of you are that way. But my question is, is that God's plan for us? Is that what God meant for us when he created us? Did he create us to be independent or codependent? Should our work bring us together and affirm God's design for humanity? Or should our work be a burden that we can't wait to throw off of us at the end of the day when we finally fall down into our lazy boy and grab the remote? These are good questions about work. See, understanding work is extremely important for us and for purposeful living. It also helps us to think right about work and about God. So let me share three points with us this morning. Three things that I think will help us think correctly about work, but we will also spend the next five weeks learning to think correctly about our work. Here's the first point that I think helps us, and that is that work is part of God's original design for humanity. 
Work is a part of God's original design for humanity. In the first couple pages of your Bible, you will discover some very important truths about humanity. We discover the original purposes of God for humanity before sin comes into the picture. We discover that we're created by God and made in his image, but we also discover several things that God designed us to do as humanity, ways that we would find purpose in who we are. Let me show you two verses that reveal that. The first one is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God said this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In the garden, humanity lived in the perfect purposes of God. And there were several things that God told us to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue the earth. Rule over the created things and work and care for the garden. Now here's what's important to see. Work is part of God's good design. It's part of his perfect design. Notice something else with me about these directives from God. There's, there's five of them here. And none of the things that God created us to do can be done in an idle state. None of them. All of them require us to be in action, to be moving, to be doing something with our life. See, work was a part of our design before the fall. This is an important part of our concept about work, our theology about work, about how we think about work every day, because what this means is that work is not a result of mankind's sin. Many times we think, or often we think, that work is a bad thing, that it's a part of the curse of our sin, but work is not a result of mankind's sin. Harder work is a result of mankind's sin. But work itself is a perfect design of God. In other words, that means that God had purpose, incredible purpose, marvelous purpose in be fruitful and multiply. By the way, that's just a really godly Christian nice way to say have sex with your wife. So I'm really glad God made that one of his top five. <laughs> Fill the earth, right? Just start filling the earth. Subdue the earth. Rule over the created things. Work and care for the garden. These are the five things that God says will bring you purpose and value and identity, help you understand me better, help you understand one another better. These are the things you should be focusing your life on. So work is not the result of mankind's sin. Work is a part of God's original design for humanity. Now, work is affected by sin, just like all the other plans of God got affected by our sin. But the original design of work is a good thing. 
We can see the sins that we're living in today, right? Hatred and gossip and lying and murder and racism and lust and sexual immorality, disrespecting our parents. These are all the sins that have taken over our world since the fall. But work is before the fall. Therefore, not a result of our sin. Here's what, something interesting. You'll, you'll find several places throughout the Bible and Scripture that God will, will list the things that we should try to avoid as his followers and his believers. Things like gossip and hatred and sexual immorality. Work is never on the list. Work's never on the list. The 11th commandment is not thou shalt not work. It's part of the fourth commandment. Oh, we'll talk about that next week, right? Work is part of God's original design for humanity. And so you and I have to understand that this, this is who God created us to be. This is a part of who we are. It's at the core of our identity. And so we've got to figure out how to, how to go to work and be at work and do our work and have joy and purpose in it. Another point that helps us to think right about work is that work is part of the image of God. Throughout the Bible, we see God as a working God, as a God who's working himself. He's not a lazy, doing-nothing God, just kind of sitting there, and we're all supposed to work for him while he sits there. That's, that's not the model of who God is that we see. If we go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, what do we see? We see that in the beginning, God spent six days working on creation, and on the seventh, he rested. So we see this model of a God who's, who's at work, who's designing and creating and doing lots of great things. I find it very interesting that when Jesus came to the earth, he could have done any job he wanted to. And think about that for a second. Jesus is coming to earth, and he's, he, he could be any profession that he wants to be. But what does he choose? He chooses a carpenter. Now, let me tell you about what a carpenter was like in the first century. Today, we have this marvelous thing um, connected to our tools. They're called cords. This wonderful, marvelous, black object, long, strandy thing comes out of my tool, plugs into the outlet. And all I have to do is pull the trigger and comes to life. That's not the saw that Jesus had, right? We're talking about real work here where you move your arm and you turn your hand, right? We don't do that anymore. This is Jesus. He was a carpenter. He was a hard worker. He made useful products for people. He wasn't at rest, waiting for some time to be revealed. He was hard at work. This is the God we serve. When Jesus came to earth, he could have modeled a number of whatever he wanted to for us, but he modeled hard work. My guess is that Jesus found purpose in his work and blessed people with his work. Now, here's what's really interesting about Jesus being a carpenter. 
His hard work as a carpenter prepared his body, prepared his muscle mass for the greatest and most difficult work he would do, a flogging and a cross. Did Jesus work hard for us? Absolutely. Did Jesus work hard in his life? Yes, he did. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker or heard the phrase, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Wow, there's a lot of purpose in that. I just go to work to pay my bills. That's not what God designed for us either, right? It sounds realistic because the bill's coming like you know it, like it's in the mailbox, so I, I hope I've got something in my checking account to pay for that. But if paying our bills is the only reason that we work, then we'll never find the purpose and work that God designed for us. But if we discover that the work that we do brings value to God, value to ourselves, and value to the community around us, then you begin to find what God wanted us to find in work. And that is that you and I, as the image bearers of God, are called to work. We bear the image of God. We were created in the image of God. So we're called to do excellent work. Why? Because God does excellent work. We're called to do honest work. We're called to do God's work. We're called to be responsible in our work. Because bearing the image of our Heavenly Father well is the reason for working. He was and is a working God, and so we bear his image as we also find purpose in our work. The last thing that I think helps us get right about our work and understand our work from a proper perspective is that work is an act of worship. Work is an act of worship. We often think, don't we, that we worship on Sunday and we endure work on Monday. But that's not true. That, that's not the proper way to live or to think or to operate as a believer in Christ. All of life, every single part of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, every single moment in our life is an opportunity for us to worship God. The same is true with our work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we should do our work for the glory of God. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. I want to camp out on this verse for a little bit as we, as we kind of bring things to a close this morning. Verse 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Our work is an opportunity to worship the Lord and give him glory. Now look closer with me at the Colossians verse and the, just the really important tips they tell us 
about our work. I'm going to break it down for us phrase by phrase. Ready? The first phrase is in verse 23. Whatever you do. That phrase. Whatever you do. Now, this is a very general phrase, isn't it? In other words, it encapsulates everything. Whatever kind of work you do, whatever you do, paid work, unpaid work, inside the home work, which is the best work, outside the home work, whatever it is, easy work, hard work, work when people see you working, work when people don't see you working, whatever you do, whatever you're doing, whatever you do is important. Let me give you an example. A couple months ago, I was in the waiting room of a doctor's office while my wife Kate was in the doctor. And an older lady and her daughter walked in the room, and the older woman was there to see the doctor. She went up to the receptionist, and she got her paperwork, and she brought it back, and she sat down one seat over from me. So she's sitting there with her daughter, and she's filling out her paperwork so I can kind of overhear their conversation. And this older woman says to her daughter, they want me to put down my occupation. But I was just a boring housewife who raised my kids. What do I put down for that? Now, you all know me. You know that in that moment, I can't sit quiet. (laughs) Like, seriously, you can't do that to me and sit right next to me. So I turn to her and I say, ma'am, I'm sorry. I couldn't help overhearing that you were downplaying the work that you did as a stay-at-home mom, as, as if it was somewhat insignificant compared to others that work outside the home. Your job was the most important job in the world, and I bet your daughter would agree. And she looked at her daughter, and her daughter gave her a big smile and said, he's right, mom. Your job was the most important job to me and our family. So write stay-at-home mom on your form with confidence. So she did. She turned to me, and she said, thanks. And I said, you're welcome. And I went back to playing Sudoku on my phone. (laughs) Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart. That's the second phrase. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Now look at something with me. Whenever something is really important in the Bible, like God wants to drive this point home, this phrase will be added to it. With all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Seek me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Work at it with all your heart. See, here's what God is saying He's imploring us not to take things lightly, like loving Him trusting him, seeking him, returning to him when we sin, being glad and worshiping him in song, and work. 
What God is saying is our work is meant to be this very, very important part of our life, but it won't be an important part of your life if you don't put your heart into it. If you don't put your heart into your work, then you'll miss the purpose and the value and the things that God wants you to get out of it, the maturity and the growth and all of the things that can come from our work. If you're not putting maximum effort into your work, you'll miss all of the goodness that God has for you in the middle of it. Why? Because the next phrase says this, because you're working for the Lord. Not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now this is phenomenal. This means if you're a garbage collector, you're a garbage collector for Jesus. If you're a teacher, you're a teacher for Jesus. If you're in IT, you're in IT for Jesus. Right? That's, that's what changes our thinking. That's what gives us purpose. Because we begin to see that we're, we're not working for a master, for an employer, I'm working for the Lord. And we have to remember that. Now, this is true because God created work. So all of the work that we are doing is something we do for the Lord because it's created by God. God created it. In other words, he's our first master. He is our provider. This means the job that you have been given is given to you by God, and our responsibility is to work for the Lord since he's the provider and creator of our work. It is Christ we are serving. And everything we do for the Lord is worthy of our best. Everything. When we do our best for the Lord at our place of employment or whatever we do, then God gets the glory. If you go to work for Jesus then Jesus gets the glory at work. If you go to work for yourself, then you get the glory. If you go to work for your master, then your master gets the glory. What the word is trying to implore us is go to work for Jesus. When you do, Jesus will be glorified and your coworkers will see that. Your neighbors will see that. Your friends will see it. Your city will see this. Now, by the way, this is the gospel, <laughs> This is part of the way we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. We go to work ready to glorify Jesus in everything that we do. This is one of the ways Jesus is made known in the world through our work. Now, this is important. Why? Because half of our life is spent at work. Half of our waking hours, at least. Half of our waking hours of our life are spent at work. Therefore, we must find purpose in those hours. We must find value in those hours. And the way we do is by understanding that we work for the Lord, that those hours are dedicated to Him. Verse 24 says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. This is why we work hard. This is why we work at it with all of our heart. This is why we're good people. This is the last phrase in this verse that is very interesting. Let me bring some historical perspective to this because this is completely foreign to how we do work today. As a slave or a servant or an employee in the first century, there was never a guarantee 
of any provision after your work was done. None. There's no retirement. There's no 401k. There was no social security. There might not be any for us either later, but that's not the point. None of these things were in place in the first century. There was no guarantee of any future provision for you as a first century worker. None. So this phrase that Paul gives to the Christian followers and believers is an extraordinary phrase. It's marvelous. It's revolutionary. It's life-changing that Paul would say, when you are done with your life and with your work, then you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What Paul is saying is there is provision waiting for you from your Savior when you are done with your work. And that would have been a mind-blowing concept in the first century. But Paul reminds his readers that Jesus sees their work and that you would receive an inheritance in the next life from Jesus as a reward for being in relationship with him. And this reward will dwarf any reward or inheritance or retirement or 401k than you may receive now on earth. See, future provision is a reward for being in relationship with Jesus. That would be incredible news for the early Christian and is also good news for us today. It's good news for us today, too, because we don't know what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. Your retirement could go in the trash can tomorrow. We have no guarantee of financial provision tomorrow. Now, we've been living in pretty good financial provision for a while, so we've all lulled ourselves to sleep thinking that it's going to be there. But there's no guarantee. But with Christ, there is. There's a guarantee. So how should we think about our work? Think of it as an act of worship. Throughout this series, we're going to share more biblical insights about work. We're going to learn how to trust God in our work. But our challenge is to think correctly about work from God's perspective, and then to start putting that into practice in our lives. So when we put God first in our work, we'll begin to see things change. The first meaningful change you will see is in your own heart, is in your own mind. As you go to work with a completely different perspective, as you begin to go to work with a joy, as you begin to go to work with a great attitude, and as your attitude and your joy and your peace in your life begins to change, people around you will see that. And it'll be an opportunity to share the love of your Savior Jesus Christ with them. See, the first meaningful change that happens is in our own lives, and the second will be in the workplace around you. I hope you're not this kind of person, but we all know how difficult it can be to work with the complainer, right? Like it just drags you down. By the end of the day, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't think I can hear another negative word. Well, if that's you at work, then what a change that would be 
to change your negativity to understand that this is Christ's identity and purpose for you. And now you go to work with a completely different attitude. You come home with a completely different attitude. Your wife and your kids might love that attitude. The mirror will like that attitude because of the change that Jesus is making from the inside out. But first, that requires us to change our theology, change our thinking, change the way we decide to go to work because work is God's design for us, not a curse. Would you stand? And let's take a minute and pray. Before we do, uh, there might be some of you in the room that you're just out of place right now that you just would like to say to the Lord, I need some help. <laughs> Maybe you're out of place right now where just your work is really frustrating to you. And you'd like to just say this morning, Jesus, I need some help with that. And I'd like, I'd like the Holy Spirit to help me go to work and help me see work in a different light and be a different kind of person to understand that this is what God has given me. And I want to learn from it. I want to grow in it. And I want to mature in Christ through it. So if that's kind of where you're at and you just want to acknowledge that and say, God, would you just help me with that? Would you raise your hand and just say, that's where I'm at. My work's frustrating and I don't like it. And I want to change that. I want to change my mentality with that and say, Lord, here I am. Awesome. Okay, you can put your hands down. Let me pray for you and for all of us. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for an opportunity to study your word and to look into it deeply and to learn what you say about work. As we continue this series and we discover what it means to find purpose in work and rest and to be on mission for you, would you help us discover what it means to live for you daily with our work, to find purpose in it, and value, and identity, to go to work with a completely different attitude, one that understands that you are going with us, you are going before us, and that the work that we do has purpose and value in our lives because you have us at that place for a reason. And we want to be people that in the moment are recognizing that the Holy Spirit's doing something to me right now today. And I'm going to stay right in this moment, whatever the struggle might be, whatever the good, the bad, or the ugly might be, I'm going to stay right in it because this is where the Holy Spirit has me until he moves me on. So Lord, help us to learn and grow. Those that have raised their hands, Lord, I want to pray that you would just help them to find the value and purpose in work. To discover that we are designed by God to work and to make work an act of worship. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, that you see every area of our life and you want to help us with it. That every area of our life can be something that we devote to you and worship you through it. We give you thanks and praise. I ask you to be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming to Teeny Faith this morning. May, may you leave this place with a greater understanding of your work and the godly purpose in it. May you also 
Find joy in your work, not only struggle. And may you see your work as a fulfillment of Jesus' mission for your life. And always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.